Welcome to The Rock's Podcast. The book of Joshua gives the account of how God led His people into the Promised Land. Though they continued to display a lack of faith in God, He remained faithful to the promise He made to Abraham and his descendants. Let's join Pastor Ross now as he guides us through the book of Joshua. Moving through the Old Testament, chapter by chapter, and tonight you find yourselves facing Joshua chapter 5, a very interesting passage and uh, one that's um, intriguing for pastors to have to teach about. And so we'll see with that little wedding of your appetite. You can put your finger in Joshua 5 and I will eventually get there. I do have a note here. Don't forget to mention the taco truck luncheon, please. July 10th. We only have a few tickets and we ordered 300 plates. So... Uh, Sign up. It's all church. It's going to be fun. In lieu of home fellowship groups that uh, July 10th, so not this Sunday, but the following. And if you don't like Mexican food, you can always bring your own lunch. All right. Now, Heavenly Father, (laughs) thank you for your love and your word, and we pray that you would help us to understand and make sense of your word. These truths are spiritually discerned. We need your help. In Jesus' name, amen. It's a great worship song from the 80s that I learned when I just became a Christian. God will make a way, when the course goes like this, God will make a way where there seems to be no way. He works in ways we cannot see. He will make a way for me. He will be my guide. Hold me closely to his side with love and strength for each new day. He will make a way. And then there's a little chorus part here. By a roadway in the wilderness, he'll lead me. And rivers in the desert will I see. Heaven and earth will fade, but his word will still remain. He will do something new today. And really, this is what's going on here in Joshua. God making a way for his people where there seems to be no way. He's been doing that ever since the original 70 Hebrews went down uh, and were preserved from a devastating famine and fled to Egypt. And then he brought them out of the slave pit some 400 years later, defeated the power of Pharaoh and his armies and provided water in the middle of the desert where there was no water and providing food as well. The Lord said to his people in Exodus 19, verse 4, you yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. He did what they could never do, and that is the way God is with all of us. God will make a way where there seems to be no way because there isn't a way for us. He puts us in those situations for us to kind of get that, too. Now, after 40 years of wandering and a 400-year-old prophecy is now coming to pass from Genesis 15 is where God originally told Abraham, you're going to have many, many children, even though you're both barren. 
and they are going to go away into Egypt, and 400 years later, they will come back. And now here we are, after 400 years, the very first day they stand on promised land here in Joshua 5. Uh, In this case, they weren't wanting God to bring a stream in the desert. They wanted to make the stream in the desert go away, and it did. As they consecrated themselves to God and took a step of faith, did what God wanted them to do, put their foot out into the water, and the waters piled up, the Jordan River, even at flood stage, parted, and all of Israel passed through safely on dry ground. God indeed had made a way where there was no way, and he won't stop there as we're about to see. So Israel, now for your context, is in the midst of the promised land proper, and they've set up a permanent memorial. They took 12 big stones from the Jordan River, hauled them out and set them up there. Now they're in Gilgal, uh, Israel, and uh, the Lord wanted them to always be able to remember the powerful deeds that God had done on their behalf uh, after the memory kind of fades, And they're faced with another challenge. He says, I want you in your next challenge to look back at those stones and say the same God that delivered me through the Jordan River will exercise his power and grace on my behalf. Uh, Again, God's faithfulness in our past is his guarantee to come through for us in the present and in the future. And so we saw them setting up their memorials. Now we're ready to continue. They've crossed the Jordan. They're in the promised land. But the bad news is, is that the promised land is occupied with people who hate God and hate God's people. And they're armed and dangerous. All right. Chapter 5, verse 1. Now, when all the Amorite kings west of the Jordan and all the Canaanite kings along with the coast heard how the Lord had dried up the Jordan before the Israelites until we had crossed over. Their hearts melted, and they no longer had the courage to face the Israelites. Well, now let's just pause right there. I'm reminded already of last Sunday's sermon in James 4, where our spiritual enemy will flee once we are submitted to God and doing his will. He says, all you'll have to say is no to evil, and it will flee. And the word is to run for your very life there. And so uh, the contest is really over when we submit to God and do what he's called us to do. When we're in line with God's will, there's really nothing to stop us. You know, if God be for us, who could be against us? And so here they are. They are finally doing what God wanted them to do in faith, honoring God, consecrating themselves, and there's just uh, their hearts, the enemy, are melting with fear. Now, a quick pause here at verse 1, and if you're taking notes, you can go ahead with Roman numeral number 1, the stupefying effect of sin and unbelief. Now, the pagan peoples who are opposing the Lord and consequently his people Israel, they hear about the Lord. They know all about the Lord and his mighty works. They fear him, but they stop short of taking any action. Now, as we have seen, Yahweh, the Lord, has worked patiently with these wretched pagan folks 
for four centuries. In fact, there where I referenced Genesis 15, when the Lord first spoke to Abraham, uh, he said, you guys need a 400-year detour to make you into a nation, but you can't have the land just yet because the sin of these people hasn't reached judgment stage yet. I'm going to work with them for 400 years, and then the judgment will be fulfilled and ready because their sins will be ripe for judgment. And so now Joshua 5, time's up. You know, there is a time's up, and and there will be Armageddon, and there will be the second coming, and the door will be closed, and uh, unsaved people do die, and when they do die, it's over, game over. Uh, We tend to think of it just God's grace just goes on and on and on, but no, there will be Joshua 5 day where Joshua uh, is commanded to take these people in and bring judgment of God through his people to the Amorites. And so the language here is deliberately reminiscent of sweet Rahab. Here's what she said back two chapters ago. When we heard all the great miracles the Lord had worked on your behalf, she's telling the spies, our hearts melted and everyone's courage failed because of you. Same language. For the Lord your God is the God in heaven and above uh, the earth. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare our family. Now, see the difference between uh, faith and unbelief. Faith says, okay, I hear, I'm afraid, and I take action. I, you know, there's something about loving sin and doing evil that will diminish your own self-preservation mechanism. You end up not caring. You don't care about who you hurt. You don't care about your family. You don't care about how you'll make a living. If you get caught, you don't care about anything. And then you don't care about your own soul. And so I always caution, especially young people, be very careful when you're compromising because you start to get crazy. And uh, like these people, they just stop short. They, they, they hear, they fear, but we love sin more than our um, desire to bow the knee. And that's the way it's going to be at the end. Um, you know, had they repented, anybody like Rahab of a wretched pagan prostitute hears, fears, and turns. Anybody, and probably many did, but we don't know about. But the vast majority of the Canaanites did not. God would have saved them. He saved Nineveh. Jonah goes in and says, 40 days, the whole place burns. Well, you know, they looked at him. He had just come out of a whale. And he was, he looked like it. And so he shows up and he says, 40 days and the sucker burns. And they repented, sackcloth and ashes from the king all the way down. And God relented. God said, thank you. And he would have done the same with the Canaanites, my friend. He said in Ezekiel chapter 33, I take no delight in the death of the wicked. But my desire is that they turn from their sins and live. Ezekiel chapter 33. And so I just like to say, you know, even at the end, I mean, let this blow your mind. In Revelation chapter 6, verse 16, they hear and they fear. This is when the, church, when the world is in tribulation. Uh, 
They called to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. This is Revelation chapter 6 and verse 16. And listen to this. So they dread, they know, they say, may the mountains fall on us and hide us from him who sits on the throne. We wouldn't want to turn to him who sits on the throne and just bow the knee. That's all it would take because there are people in the tribulation who will do that, but not the vast majority of them. Listen to what it says after that. The rest of mankind that were not killed by the plague still did not repent of the works of their hands. They did not stop worshiping demons or idols of gold, silver, or bronze, stone, and wood, and idols that cannot see, hear, or walk. Nor did they repent of their murders, their magic arts, their sexual immorality, or their thefts. Right through to the end. They hear, they fear, but they stop short. They won't bow the knee. And it just, I'm sorry, I just read verse 1, and I just was like, are you kidding me? You see the train coming. Could you just step aside? That's all God is saying. Just step aside. You know the proverb I love to quote, 22 and verse 3. The wise person sees danger and takes refuge, but the simple keep going and suffer for it. Verse 2 through 9. So the kings and the people are in a, in a mess, uh, in a chaotic panic because they see two million Hebrews come in full bore. Verse 2, at that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise the Israelites again. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the Israelites at uh, Gibeoth Haraloth. Now, this is why he did so. All those who came out of Egypt, all the men of military age, died in the desert on the way after leaving Egypt. All the people that came out had been circumcised, but all the people born in the desert during the journey from Egypt had not been. The Israelites had moved about in the desert 40 years until all the men who were of military age when they left Egypt had died since they had not obeyed the Lord. For the Lord had sworn to them that they would not see the land that he had solemnly promised their fathers to give us, a land flowing with milk and honey. So he raised up their sons in their place, and these were the ones Joshua circumcised. They were still uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. Uh, Just, you know, if that word, just over and over and over again. You know, I was joking beforehand with somebody about having to teach on circumcision and you know, I just get a little squeamish sometimes, you know, when the, the when not just that subject, but there are a lot of subjects that it's kind of a little awkward to be standing here talking to you about. And then it's like every other word. It's like, can you just use a pronoun or something? You know, so he raised up their sons in place and they were the ones Joshua circumcised and they were uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. And after the whole nation had been... <laughs> Circumcised, they remain. Oh, really? That's the word. They remained where they were in camp. Now, there have been times, I must admit, that once in a while you're able to just kind of, you know, get, you say the word and you keep running. You know, it's not going to happen tonight. <laughs> There's no way. There's no way out. So, all right. I met somebody in the foyer and they said, it's our very first time. And the first thing I thought of was, oh, wow. <laughs> Praise the Lord. <laughs> 
And after the whole nation had been circumcised, they remained where they were in camp until they were healed. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. So the place has been called Gilgal to this day. Well, let's stop and talk about this. (laughs) Number two, the importance of consecration. All right? Now, the Hebrew word for to consecrate is that's really the point of what's going on here with the rite of circumcision, kadash in the Hebrew, to consecrate. And in the Greek, hagiadzo, where we get the word holy and to sanctify. And really, the idea is the same in Hebrew and Greek, to consecrate, to dedicate, to separate. That's the word, to separate out of the world and all for God. Now my mind and my heart and my talents and my agendas and my dreams, my whole body, my physical body, my life is taken from the old purpose to the new and dedicated all to God. That's the idea there. And so before they can go forward uh, to gain the land and obtain it, there's this ordinance called circumcision and now the word sacrament or, or, or ordinance means a tradition given by God to help us better understand, appreciate, and remember what God has done for us. All right? And so we Protestants, we have two ordinances. They are called baptism and communion. The Catholicism and Eastern Orthodoxy have seven um, sacraments, which they teach are necessary for salvation. Um, Titus chapter 3, 4 through 5 says, but when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of anything righteous we had done, but because of his mercy. That's Titus chapter 3, verses 4 through 5. That said, we do have ordinances that help us understand and appreciate and remember what God has done for us. With that understanding of what an ordinance is, which is what circumcision is, Old Testament ordinance, then I think to grasp the purpose of it and why he says, no, 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 I need you to wait right now. First, you consecrate yourselves to me through the ordinance of circumcision before you can go forward in victory. Circumcision, in short, is saying you are a people born of God. Why don't you turn to Genesis chapter 17 to where uh, it first appears. And that will give you some good understanding of why he wants them all to do this very kind of intriguing, strange ritual. To our ears, anyway. When Abram was 99 years old, 1 through 17 first, and then 24 through 27. When Abram, Abram, before he was changed to a father of the multitude, just father, to father of a multitude, Abraham, was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless. I will confirm my covenant, my promise between me and you, and will greatly increase your numbers. Of course, even though you're 99 and your wife is 90 and she couldn't have kids anyway. Verse 3, Abram fell face down and God said to him, as for me, this is my covenant, uh, 
And God said to him, as for me, this is my covenant with you. You will no longer be the father. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you, and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, where you are now an alien, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. Then God said to Abraham, As for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you, for the generations to come. 